0: Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas.
1: From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rasciuti, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award winning Road Reports.
2: It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rasciuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If I told you that on today's show we're talking about two types of alcohol, one that you can make at home and one that's made by professionals, and that one of them is wine and the other is beer, you'd naturally assume we're talking about a winery on one hand and a home brew beer on the other. Well, you'd be 180 degrees off. We're talking about New Orleans' first craft brewery and homemade wine. Yes, homemade wine. If you don't know there is such a thing as homemade wine, well, apparently there is. And here's a shocker. Most of it reportedly tastes pretty bad. That's why Liam Meyer and Neil Schulman spent a good deal of 2020 which you might recall was when the bars were all closed, Hold up at home, perfecting their DIY wine product, Bruzy. Bruzy is a wine and cider making kit that the company says takes 15 minutes to start and five days to finish. A single Bruzy kit will run you about $45. You choose which juice to add and you make 12 to 18 bottles of wine. That comes to about $2.12 a bottle. If you're thinking this is a crazy idea that's never going to take off, Bruzy already has five full-time employees, and they've sold over 20,000 kits. Liam Meyer, co-founder and co-CEO of Bruzy, welcome down to lunch.
3: Nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Peter.
2: We're having lunch today at Nola Pizza. It's the pizza restaurant in the tap room at New Orleans' longest-running craft brewery, Nola Brewing. Given our long history and love of alcohol in this town, you might expect that NOLA Brewing was founded in 1808. Actually, it was founded in 2008. Although in the past, New Orleans has been home to breweries like Jack's, Falstaff, Regal, and Dixie, by the time Hurricane Katrina blew through here in 2005, there was no beer at all being brewed in New Orleans. Then, in 2008, a retired U.S. Navy surface warfare officer by the name of Kirk Coco built and opened Nola Brewing. In the beginning, Kirk Coco's landlord was Doug Walner. Doug was also an investor in Nola Brewing. 10 years later, in 2018, Kirk moved on to other interests and Doug Walner became the major shareholder in Nola Brewing and built a pizzeria, Nola Pizza, into the business. Today, Nola Brewing produces around 10,000 barrels of beer a year which puts it in the top 20% of breweries nationwide. And NOLA Pizza is winning Food Critic Awards for Best Tasting Pizza in the City. Doug Walner, owner of NOLA Brewing and NOLA Pizza, thanks for hosting us and welcomed out to lunch.
1: It's a pleasure to be here at my own place, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the
2: shortest commute ever. They, uh, Liam, I have to start a conversation about homemade wine with the obvious. That's the question of taste. The term wine tasting is practically a synonym for sophistication. There are countless magazines, websites, organizations, and entire sommelier schools dedicated to nothing but the taste of wine. I can imagine that these types of serious wine connoisseurs would be throwing up their hands in horror at the thought of people making wine at home by adding juice to the ingredients from a box that arrives in the mail. Is Bruzy intended for people who are serious about wine or is this a different kind of product?
3: Bruzy is intended for all sort of people who are interested in wine. Um, what's brilliant about our product is that we essentially reverse engineered a commercial winery and shrunk that into a packet. All of the sort of ingredients that you would use and see in a winery, we fit into that little packet and you're using that at home to make wine in the same way that a professional winemaker would. So, Indeed, you know, wine snobs may say, hey, I'm going to Costco and spending $50, $100 for a bottle of wine, you know, that must be inferior. But in fact, we can do the process in just the same way and make a product that excels um, compared to the normal sort of wine you'd find in a supermarket.
2: Doug, when the beer market was dominated by Budweiser, beer was seen as a freezing cold liquid to drink during a ball game. Now craft beer caters to a market with a wide range of increasingly sophisticated tastes and craft beer brewing has become a big business. You come from a business background among other very successful ventures. You were CEO and Senior Vice President of Stamps.com and President and CEO of the International Technology Company, PSI. Now you're running a brewery and you've added a pizza restaurant. Beer and pizza is the kind of business that people say you can't go wrong, but of course, you most certainly can. What skills have you had to learn since taking over Nola Brewing and starting up Nola
1: Pizza that maybe you hadn't realized you needed? Um, <clears throat> well, that's a good question. Um, lots of different skills, a totally different business. you know I've been in tech, and um, it's you know generally speaking, uh, for the most part. You deliver online, you don't have to worry about distribution, distributors or partners like that, and you just sell your product direct. And so, you know, this is a much different business where you sell through distribution, you have lots of regulatory agencies overseeing what you do. So it's a, a you know, definitely challenging from sort of the, the, you know, the, the infrastructure you have to sell through. So that, that's been a challenging experience, learning, you know, new skills related to Dealing with those kind of environments, so um, totally different business. Uh, I will tell you that, but it's a it's a fun business. Uh, but business has to make money at the end of the day, and and that's why we're all here. So you know, hopefully, I can sort of bring some of the the, the you know my talents to um, this business and and just you know continue to make it a profitable business and and stay at it. Now, Doug,
2: the pizza here is awesome. I've got to tell you that, and I've been really talking it up around town. And of course, the part I bring up is the part about the water you're using. And I, I've got to tell you, when you talk to New Yorkers about pizza, you start in about a minute later, you think, I'm sorry I brought this up because you're so you're so adamant about this. And one of the things you've said is that you think the reason we didn't have great New York style pizza is because we didn't have New York water. I say this to people and they ask me, does it make any sense? Tell me why yeah, that Yeah, it,
1: it makes total sense. And so, it, it's true. Um, the, the tap water that comes out in the New York City water system happens to be just really great water for making pizza dough um, at the end of the day. It's it's uh, generally a softer water, uh, which means it's total parts per million of the right minerals are at a certain level, um, and it has the right pH for making uh, good pizza dough. and so. If you compare that to what comes out of our tap system here in New Orleans, it's very different. We have a very hard water. And so when you break this down, it really is just about baking at the end of the day, right? It's about fermenting dough and then baking the dough and having the right product taste the right way. And with a softer water, with the right pH, you're going to get a much better dough product out of that. And so that's really all we're doing is we put in place a, a, a water system that we're basically treating the water. We use reverse osmosis to take everything out and then we reintroduce the right things back into it to get to a water that mimics New York City tap water. Um, the, the real reason we do this is I think, you know, if you look at the tap water that comes out of our system here, very inconsistent and very hard, like I mentioned, but what we're trying to go for is consistency of product. And I think that's the key to getting the water, right? You will have a consistent dough product. That's right. And, you know, most of what you're eating when you're eating pizza is the dough. It's all in the crust, right? And that's how that tastes. We also do things a little bit differently here. We, we are craft, uh, Beer maker, right? So we we use we sort of take the craft approach to making beer. We've done the same thing with the pizza. So, you know, we do a forty-eight hour fermentation on the dough. We use uh, or, an organic sourdough starter instead of a commercial yeast and flour. Uh, so we just do things sort of the craft way, and uh, we think we're producing a pizza that tastes better than anything in this city. Um, and I think people are agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> a lot are. Uh, you know,
2: Liam. Talking of water, uh, what a, what's the deal with adding, say, mango juice to, a, to make wine? I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of different ways you can go. And most people, I think, think of wine, uh, particularly snobs, I would think, as coming from grape and not fruit. I mean, am I getting somewhere? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, of course, most of the great wines that you and I know are grape wines. But what's really awesome about Bruzy is that we're kind of showing America and the world that there is a rich tradition of making fantastic fruit wines. Uh, Our customers love to make everything from cranberry wine, blackberry wine. Um, wines from from grapes that you would find from a a vineyard and also grapes that you'd find um, from a a farm that's making grapes for kind of consumption like we get at the supermarket. But in in general one of the brilliant things about Bruzy is that we kind of empower the customer to be really creative with what they're making. Of course if you start with some juices that aren't really amenable to making great wine, I think citrus typically falls in that category. It's a little too acidic um, and really the sort of pleasure that we get when we taste those juices is the sweetness which of course the yeast are eating and turning into alcohol those juices don't typically result in fantastic wine but there's a lot of fruits that produce incredible wine are there
2: groups of uh, breezy folks like is there it's not a cult but i mean are there are <laughs> the people <laughs> are people that get together is there anything like that
3: yeah so we have uh, a large community, we call this Club Bruzy, there's over 5,000 people in Club Bruzy, Um, and every day, Club Bruzy is a digital community, and every day we see posts from people all over America um, inventing new recipes, connecting with each other. Ultimately, one of Bruzy's most important missions is to kind of connect people. Uh, We're in a time of increased loneliness, um, of course, during the pandemic, everybody experienced this where you're kind of at home and maybe stuck with one or two people. Um, but hobbies are really a great way of connecting with each other, kind of provides an opportunity to spend a long amount of time, to delve into some topic. Um, and, and so we think hobbies are really a great way to bridge gaps between people and kind of fight loneliness.
2: Doug, you know what uh, interested me is is the way you... Um you sell the pizza, like you sell pizza by the slice, which is the way I remember it in the Northeast. Um, how'd you decide to do that? I can't think of anybody else in the city doing it.
1: Well, I'm a New Yorker, so I grew up with getting pizza this way. You know, used to used to be able to go in and you get a slice, you get a pie, whatever you want. It's, it's, it's easy, it's accessible. Um, I think that's sort of the key. Um, I, I was surprised that nobody sold slices down here, sort of readily available. Um, but that was sort of a key element of what we were gonna do, and you know, we also are, have a tap room, so we wanted to just be able to have folks can come in, grab a beer, and you know you don't have to order a whole pie. You could just get a slice to get to get a taste of it. Um, you know, one of the things I also grew up with is delivery. Uh, pizza used to just get delivered all the time. Now, we don't deliver yet, but our plan is to deliver, um, and that is the goal. So we are working on a few things to make that possible. We're expanding our capacity over the next few months. Um, if we do delivery, we're worried we're going to get crushed. So we're gonna, we've got to be careful with how we introduced it. We only have one double-deck oven downstairs, so we will ultimately um, add more ovens here. Uh, we plan to do that, hopefully, uh, by the end of August is what we're looking to do. Doug, how do you do make that? the next decision, because
2: we've had a few guests that have done this, between doing that delivery in-house or farming it out to, like, Uber Eats? Or-
1: so, yeah, that's a great decision because I, I've, I've already made it. Um, you know, I at this point, we believe, um, and look, I think there's been years of history of people... Who have delivered pizza with their own crew, right? And so I don't, I don't think it's that challenging. I think there's, you know, other things we need to consider today in today's world, and today's market, like insurance rates are higher than they probably were back then. But I, I, you know, the goal is to, to keep, you know, for us making sure that that product ends up at somebody's house or office and it tastes as good as it does when you get it here. That's the key. And I think if I leave that to third parties, that's not going to be the end result. And that's what I'm concerned about. And so. We will, uh, you know, execute against a plan that is focused on delivering the pizza ourselves and getting the pizza to someone so it's hot and fresh and tastes as good as it does here.
2: You're listening to, Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Doug Walner, owner of Nola Brewing and Nola Pizza, and Liam Meyer from Bruzy, the company that sends you a kit to make wine or cider at home. Liam, first of all, you were the first person in this business, and you did. Go ahead and get a kit from somebody else, and you thought it was really crappy. So, uh, what? <laughs> now, a lot of people would say, "Well, that's a business I don't want to be in." But you thought you could improve it. What did you? What did you get? And what did you change?
3: Yeah. So, there are a number of winemaking kits that existed prior to Bruzy, but they have a number of problems. Um, the first problem is that they're coming with just a bladder of juice, and really, to make wine with them, you had to follow this long basically recipe, Um, there's no room for variation or creativity. One of the best things about cooking, you know, when you're in the kitchen is that you get to experiment. You get to play around. Doug is really a craftsman um, and we want to bring that experience to wine and into people's homes. Um, Another problem is that you're really only just getting grape wine um, and kind of really conventional flavors. It's kind of top down. Um, something that we see in wine and in alcohol more generally is people have little to no control or visibility into the ingredients in their beverage. Um, most people don't know this, but most wine actually isn't vegan. So I myself can't go into most wineries and drink their wine because it's finished um, with gelatin and pork finings. <laughs> you had me there. Yeah. That
2: was <laughs> now, now, when you made those changes, uh, one of the things you, you had to do is educate the consumer, uh, not only... F- Letting them understand about why great wine could come from a kit, but just the mechanics, right? I mean, I know I would be kind of lost once it arrived in the mail.
3: Yeah, it's a fantastically interesting and sort of rich business to be in because there's so much complexity. Ultimately, Doug is a professional doing wonderful fermentation with a team of professionals, and we're trying to replicate that experience in someone's home. Um, and fermentation is a biologic process. There's so many things that can go wrong. Got what
2: sugars become an alcohol, I guess. I mean. Exactly.
3: You know, the yeast are eating the sugar essentially and turning that into alcohol. Um, but you have to have the conditions right. You have to be kind of doing things in the right order. Um, sometimes random things just happen and you don't know what's going on. Um, and the sort of pre-existing solutions basically said, if something's going wrong, go into your local homebrew shop. But of course, that's not such a good solution you have to a, drive into a car in the pandemic, this was not even viable, um, but we have cell phones on us. And so one of the things that we kind of pioneered is having 24 uh, seven tech support for our products, such that if you're making wine at home and you run into a problem, you just go and text someone and figure out how to debug it.
2: <laughs> and Doug, every business has hopefully a profit margin <laughs> um, and you uh, the same way, but I've noticed uh, when I started doing the research for this show that there's very different profit margins within your um, within your company for instance i i think you
1: make uh, much higher margins on a keg than actually um... We do,
2: yeah. So what's what's going on there?
1: Yeah, I mean, it basically comes down to the cost of goods to get your product to market. So obviously, if you're putting it in a can, you can imagine, a lot of people don't think about this, but when you think about a case of beer, um, you know, it's normally going in cans, right? So you're paying for the cost of cans, you're paying for the cost of the cardboard that the case sits in, you're paying for the cost of the, the ringlets that hold the, the, the beer together, and you know, like, everything's a cost at that point. And so if we're just kegging a beer, Uh, and we put in a keg, you know, we own those kegs. Those kegs ultimately come back to us, they get cleaned, they get reused. So if we're putting beer in a keg, the margins are much better on on keg beer than they are on packaged beer. So, you know, obviously a lot of craft brewers like to do a lot of keg beer. And so you tend to have a lot of what we call on-premise business, which is restaurants and bars. And as you can imagine, this was a tough year to have a lot of on-premise business in your business model. Um, not only were your customers shut down, but your own tap room was shut down for a while. And we were only selling our packaged goods in both retail and out of our own location here. So you were you were you were selling your lowest margin product that you had. And that was really the only business you had during this pandemic, you know? So unless you pivoted, we pivoted to doing um, hand, sanitizer hand sanitizer for a while. And that one worked, that worked really well. But, um, you know, look, there, the, that, the, the, the goal here is to ultimately, you know, have a blended model with all these different forms of distribution. Uh, the most profitable is your tap room, right? Because you're not even, you're putting it in the kegs and you're serving it here. You're not even selling it to a distributor who then resells it, right? So it, it, it is, um, you know, a blend of having the right profit margin in the business in each sector and just sort of fine-tuning it and getting it right. And, and you know, it's always a challenge. It's certainly a challenge when you have a year like COVID.
2: Now, uh, I imagine this came out at one of your secret strategy yeah. meetings, but although the cans don't produce the margins of the keg, they they serve as a kind of a marketing arm, right?
1: Um, They do. And, you know, look, uh, even if, if you get down to it, like merchandise is a big part of our business as well. People like to have brewery merchandise. And in our case, you know, we're sort of fortunate because we have the NOLA brand associated with, we are New Orleans Lager and Ale, which is NOLA, which is the nickname of our city. And that tends to really play well with tourists who are looking to get, the term NOLA on something. Having NOLA brewery is a is a great brand to sort of do merch. And yeah, having the beer in cans and having interesting can designs and, and out in the retail channel, they all support each other. It's kind of a your own internal ecosystem of marketing, right? Like they all support each other. The selling it in retail supports selling it at restaurant and bars. People have seen it in the retail stores, they've seen it out and vice versa. So, you know, really having and fine tuning Um, all those so that they work cohesively in one marketing strategy is critical to the craft beer market. And Liam, you have developed, since you first started with a basic kit,
2: now you have more advanced kits. Uh, uh, I would say it's uh, same question I asked Doug Deep. I would assume you get uh, better margins on some of these. Some of them you're bringing in, I think, as a glassware uh, for actually drinking. Is that turning out to be a more lucrative end?
3: Yeah. I mean, what's so awesome about being in the hobby business is that people spend a lot of money on their hobbies. <laughs> you know, There's so much that you can do. You can go kind of deeper and deeper and deeper into the hobby, and so we're really invested in kind of supplying the entire uh, home brewing and home wine making ecosystem ultimately. Um, everything from glassware, you know, we have the gallon jugs to brew in. Uh, we're working on small sample glass bottles so that you can kind of make a lot of wine and then give it out to a lot of people instead of just having, you know, the normal 750 milliliter bottles. Um, you know, we're also working on bringing juice from you know, the nation's best uh, farms and vineyards into people's homes. Um, and so you can get Cabernet Sauvignon grape juice um, from Bruzy delivered to your door so that you can make your own cab swab at home for instance and we see you know healthy profit margins kind of across our product line
2: and this is actually you're both dealing with this but Liam I'll ask you the uh this is a highly regulated business I mean I guess it's ATF alcohol tobacco and firearms why don't you just do all three what the heck you know it's uh, no <laughs> it's, uh, they, uh, where do they step in
3: yeah, so Doug deals with the TTB. This is why, for instance, if you look at one of Doug's cans, you'll see um, you know ABV, how much alcohol is in the beverage, but you actually won't see typically an ingredients listing, and you won't see nutrition facts. Um, so in general, alcohol is regulated by the TTB, whereas food products are regulated by the FDA. That's why everything from like this bottled water will have kind of ingredients listed on it, even though it'll probably just say water. Um, <laughs> and so... Uh, products that end up in foods or foods and beverages um, kind of start with regulation from the FDA but ultimately the final product is one um, that because it's made in the home isn't regulated by the TTB.
2: And like what do I see on wine bar? like sulfites things like that is that one of the things you have to put on or you you just go ahead and do it?
3: Yeah so sulfites are a preservative Um, they're meant so that you can basically finish your winemaking and then bottle it and then put it on the shelf and then age it maybe for some years or for some decades if if you've got the time Um, but of course a lot of people really don't do well with sulfites Um, some people find that sulfites give them headaches um, or just in general trying to put less kind of chemicals into their body and so what's really awesome about Bruzy is that the Bruzy bag has no sulfites in it Um, that means that at the end of the brewing process um, unless you add sulfites to it, you either have to drink it or put it in the fridge. Uh, putting it in the fridge prevents further fermentation from happening. Um, but what's really kind of powerful about our experience is that it's not like going into the grocery store and looking at you know a whole wall of wines and every single one of them having sulfites. If you don't want sulfites in your wine, you can make wine without sulfites.
2: And, and Doug, I'm complimenting uh, Liam for how he's pushing his business, but you've kind of been amazing because you had the first Brewery, and then, um, then you went into tap rooms and. Uh, just tap rooms became kind of a necessity, right?
1: Yeah, they did. And, you know, we didn't have the right to have a tap room until I think it was 2014, 2015. And we opened something immediately. We actually took our employee break room and turned it into a tap room right away to sort of take advantage of that. Um, but they are, an like I said, they're an essential part of a, a craft brewer business model, right? And so uh, having that ability to serve your beer at retail is really, really important. We were the first tap room as well uh, in town. Um, and you know, it was, it was, it was great and it, it still is great, but it was great because if you wanted to go to a tap room, you came to Nola Brewing, you know, now that we have more competition in town where what we find is we're sharing our customers amongst the different tap rooms. Um, beer drinkers, craft beer drinkers are like wine drinkers, you know, they, they like to support multiple wineries, multiple breweries, you know, they, they want to try everything and they have you know, maybe a particular style that's a favorite at this tap room versus another. So we what we have seen is we've been sharing our customers more with our competition locally here in town. Um, so that's those are the things that sort of drive me to up the game, so right, like I want to, well, if I want to get people here more regularly, I'm going to make the best pizza in town. So that's sort of the impetus behind doing a great food product and trying to, you know, up the game a little bit and continue to strive to make our tap room one of the most desirable places to come. You, can get, you know, we like to say we craft joy, and we craft joy in, you know, in making beer and pizza and just a good time. You can hear music here, whatever it is. We, we like to do that. Liam,
2: you have a brand new concept here, and you've got to convince people... Uh, that this kid idea is going to be great and it's going to taste great, and then you've got the fact that you have to compete potentially against some other folks. How do you start a marketing strategy for this?
3: So to begin, the most important marketing strategy of any new product is to build and deliver a great product. Um, we really care about product like growth. We think that a Bruzy winemaker is the person in the world who's most helpful in selling Bruzy to other people. Um, we do this both by just really refining our Bruzy bag and the winemaking experience with Bruzy and making it the best that we can. But then we also build in kind of natural, um, social uh, elements to the experience. Everything from having you know, more bottles of of glass to make wine for, so that you have to really kind of make some wine to give away to people so that they can then taste the wine that they made with Bruzy. Um, to our Facebook group, where we're really kind of playing up the, the sort of social aspect of you know brewing and uh, enjoying wine with other people. Um, the other part of our equation is through digital marketing. Digital marketing is remarkable because it allows you to kind of really hone in on exactly who is the perfect customer for your product, and so we know, for instance, that you know people who are maybe in their 30s, 40s, they like wine, they like cooking, um, but they've never really thought to combine the two. That's basically the perfect bruisey customer, and uh, digital marketing allows us to find them.
2: Doug, same question. I think Nola is. kind of ubiquitous in this town I mean you are out there everywhere
1: yeah we we are and look we we had several years of of unimpeded you know no competition just sort of you know branding opportunity and I think that has worked well for us I think with the um new breweries who have been opening up we have to continue to sort of stay ahead of the game keep producing fine quality products um keep pushing the envelope a little bit on what we're doing um I, I, you know, it's a combination of different things, uh, both digital marketing and traditional marketing. You know, working in the channels that we sell our products, whether it's the, you know, on, uh, the on-premise restaurant bars doing promotions or um, doing promotions here at the tap room, or working with our retailers who are selling our product. It's kind of a combination across the board. You know, um, for all, all aspects of marketing, it's 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 a. Big effort, but uh, ultimately, I think I think we've done a good brand, a good job with our brand, and and we we hope to continue to do so.
2: And uh, Liam, you've been amazing in
1: terms of new product development. Doug, you you actually have a tea coming out, right? Uh, we do. We have uh, we actually have it out. It's a hot tea. It's a non-alcoholic product. It's carbonated. Um, non-alcoholic product. It's tea and hops. And so we've taken two great things that people really love, the flavor of hops, and we've, we've steeped it into uh, tea. Um, so we have an oolong tea, and we have a roast hip hibiscus tea, uh, and then we have a guava green tea that's coming out as well. It's available in cans. You can buy it at local grocery stores here. Uh, we sell it here out of the tap room as well. It's delicious. Um, it's low calorie uh, for the most part, and it's just a delicious, refreshing product. Um, if you have never had it, it's great. It's a, it's a, It's kind of like a carbonated gold tea. It's really, really good.
2: Now, 30 minutes ago, you were probably more familiar with the Bible story about the miracle of turning water into wine than the concept of adding fruit juice to a mix and making wine at home. And similarly, you might not have been familiar with the chemical components of water required to make New York City-style pizza or craft beer. Doug and Liam, I'm pretty sure that almost everyone listening to this right now is thinking about grabbing a beer, a glass of wine, or a piece of pizza, or all of the above. This has been a fun and fascinating conversation. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch.
1: Thanks for having me.
3: Thanks for having me, Peter.
2: My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Liam Meyer. He's the co-founder and CEO of Bruzy. And Doug Walner, owner of Nola Brewing and Nola Pizza. We edited the show to fit into the time slot here at WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Liam's wine and cider and Doug's beer and pizza by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur, you can find more of Jill's photos at LafleurPhoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for It'sNewOrleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch
0: table for more business, New Orleans style. On out to lunch. Out to lunch was recorded live over lunch at the Nola Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapattula Street. Open seven days a week. Nola Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by Nola Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com.